Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good evening everyone and it's episode 19 of Rule the Roost podcast. It's two for one this week as we are playing Sunderland uh, later on in the week, on the weekend. Oh, this is a good start isn't it? And uh, in a couple of days time, Fulham. So we're going to be giving you a slightly shortened double header where we're just going to be focusing on listener questions. But uh, I should probably start by saying hello to Raj. It's quite a confused way for me to uh, introduce the episode there Raj, so I do apologise. Hello mate, how are you doing? Not too bad. No, I think um, it's about right. Um, probably when you put both both episodes together, it'll probably come to the usual marathon running time that we're used to. But um, it's um, it's just there in terms of when fixture congestion comes up, we just sort of need to streamline the process a little bit, don't we? Yeah, I, I mean, just to just to touch on that very quickly as well for anyone that is listening that wonders why we do have such well endowed episodes. It's essentially an editorial decision in that we want you to have the full organic flow of conversation that we do have with our guests and don't really want to edit that down. It is a decision that we have made and it may seem somewhat self-indulgent, but if you don't like it, then don't listen, <laughs> essentially. I think the the reason why we've done it um, other than that is, is because cause we're speaking to people that we've necessarily perhaps never never met before or perhaps even uh, engaged with that often we don't want to to edit it in a in a fashion that they might uh, deem has has gone in any way that we've kind of taken anything they've said out of context or even for ourselves so if we if we put out the entire conversation then there's then there's no room for argument on on anyone's part and it's uh, as you say it's a much more organic listening experience we and, hope and what a lovely link to the uh, to the to the week's events, the press taking people's words out of context. Mister Neil Ashton, you got yours. You got yours, my friend. And what a result! What a result, both on the pitch for Mister Villas Boas and off the pitch, in my opinion. Anyway, what did what did you make of his little uh, his? Well, let's start with the game. Let's start with the game. What did you yeah. What did you think of Spurs' performance? For me, it was you know revitalized. It looked we looked. Like the team we've been threatening to be all season. Well, yeah, I think I said um, five or six times last week that it was more about the performance and the result, and that's exactly what it it looked like from the players. They they gave their everything. Um, it was the pace was much better. The um, the intensity was there from them that perhaps was lacking previously, and that, that extra bit of bite and fight that we we predicted might be there for them trying to restore their pride was was evident and um, is everything that we'd, we'd really wanted. And 
the result a point at home to United is, is a is a bonus. It's even slightly disappointing given that we we outplayed them for large periods of that game. I think Wayne Rooney was largely the difference in the game, and it, it, it's frustrating in the respect that we were undone by a couple of individual errors. But for a start, the first one was you know it was pretty badly done by Carl Walker, but he was unlucky. The ball was yeah. coming at him at quite a pace. It took a bad touch. In fairness to him, I mean, he hadn't really showed himself in glory with his touch earlier on in the game when it got played through to him. Um, but even, I mean, Wayne Rooney's made a career as a world class striker from jumping on opportunities such as that, making sure he's in the right position in the event that a defender will have that kind of mess up. And I think to really come down on Kyle Walker too hard for that would be extraordinarily harsh. Yeah, I mean, if it was a less of a striker and less of a team we were playing, perhaps we would have gotten away with that one. But you don't get away with giving teams and players like Wayne Rooney half a chance. Exactly, you could see that. You, you can see exactly the measure of Wayne Rooney from that half chance that Phil Jones had when he just kind of cracked it from outside the box. It was going nowhere near the goal. And then out of nowhere, Wayne Rooney ran in and almost got on the end of it. You yeah, know, it's just he's a he's a goal getting striker and he will get on the end of anything that's in the box. Arguably, Absolutely. arguably, what Roberto Soldado could be doing a little better. A little bit, yeah. I mean, he, he's shown his frustration. I mean, he kicked the crap out of one of the advertising hardings, which um, showed a little bit of frustration on his part, which is understandable. But um, I think Aaron Lennon playing so well and, and doing so well down the, the flank is um, promising for him because that means that he should be hopefully getting more chances from there. And Lennon in that in the first half at least was absolutely magnificent. And I I, I understand you know I understand that the a lot was made about well not the booing I don't really want to go into that to be honest but in in the respect of people saying oh well the reason why AVB took him off was because he didn't make a a, a single I think he didn't make a single attempted pass after something like the 38th minute of the game. Um, well, yeah, it, he was coming back from injury. It's not one of his. It's one of his first performances since a long period out, and he was visibly tiring. So, in that respect, it was is an entirely uh, understandable substitution. But he was still causing them problems. His runs, um, yeah, were, you know, he was ever cannot stand playing against Darrelle. Honestly, he must wake up in cold sweats every time he knows he's going to have to line up against Darrelle. Because I've even whenever it was the best left-back in the league, well, at least up there with Ashley Cole for being the best left-back in the league when Ashley Cole was still the left-back in the league. Um, (laughs) Even then, Lennon used to just tear him to pieces. I remember, I think it was the Carlin Cup final when he just mugged him off relentlessly for 120 minutes, but it seemed to be the same same deal again. Um, The second goal, my immediate reaction was fucking United, typical them getting a soft penalty, but... Stonewall penalty, really, wasn't it? Um, I think so, yeah. I think um, there is some something to be looked into in terms of what the manager was complaining about, uh, Welbeck leaving his, his leg in there to be taken. But at the end of the day, if there's contact in the box as much as there was from uh, from Loris, then um, it's, a, it's an understandable penalty to be given. Um, there's not much you can complain about. Welbeck played his role in it well. It's not a... Um, it's not a dive by any means, but he was he was inviting the contact, and Loris was perhaps naive enough to uh, to to fall for it. Do you? I mean, I, I've seen a couple of people say that the form of Dawson, or at least Dawson's lack of pace, 
could be the reason that Loris is on edge and actually performing in this erratic rush out fashion. But uh, that doesn't have much credence to me. It, in it, I just see that as being Hugo Lloris's style of goalkeeping. Yeah, I think he will. I think he'll be. Um, I think he, that's that's the way he'll always play. I think perhaps he he may overcompensate for for Michael Dawson when it comes down that channel, just because he might know he's a tiny bit slower. Um, but he will if there's if there's half a chance to to pounce on something. He because his starting position is so far out of his goal, he'll usually go for it more often than he won't. Um, but in terms of Michael Dawson's starting position within the team, it's, um, something we've touched on before as as going to be coming to an end once Nunes Kabul's fully fit again. So um I think it's 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 good in a way that we do have this injury that it's not just Kabul and Kirikos up there straight away. I, I'm you know you know I'm a staunch defender of Michael Dawson. I do think his days are numbered. But uh at the same time I still don't think Kirikos is the finished article. There were a couple of times when he quite early on in the game when he was pretty prone to dilly dallying or trying to play a bit, a bit too confidently, um, I think there was a moment. I think it was around the twentieth minute or so when he tried to sort of take on Wayne Rooney um, quite cheekily, and Rooney just wasn't having any of it, and it sort of potentially almost got us in trouble. So I still think there's a little few things that Kirikesh needs to iron out of his game. Yeah, it? and that that will just be more a case of understanding the fact that he's now in a league that is teeming with world-class players. And his age as well, given that he's our youngest centre-back. He's still... He's still. Um, he's only like 24, 25, is he? I think he might even be 23, to be honest. Um, he's very young. I think he's only a tiny bit older than uh, Corker was when he left. Uh, Corker's about 20, 21 now, so there's only a couple of years between them. So... Um, Given that he'll he'll grow into it, I think we've compared him before to to a little bit like Yunus Kabul in his first period at the club. But he's um, he's a lot more assured than Yunus ever was. Minus <laughs> minus the dried up pot of super noodles off from the head, eh? Yeah, that terrible haircut he had. Yeah. Um, one thing to quickly touch on as well is the kind of almost to me looked like a rotating number ten between Paulinho and Dembele. Yeah. Um, I think that is conducive of, of how well Sandro is playing and, and how much confidence Sandro gives the rest of the midfield to to have the licence to attack. I think more often than not, Dembele was sitting deeper out of the two of them because often Polinho at times was playing off the shoulder of Soldado and he looked much improved there because there was a real case to drop him after his recent run of form, not just the Manchester City game, but even a few games prior to that, he wasn't quite performing to the levels he, he may well have done. But um, he looked much better in the advanced position. He actually looks a little more natural there compared to how Dembele does, uh, because I think Dembele actually enjoys the room to run into, because he, he makes those little marauding charges into the final third from from midfield when Sandro's next to him, which is, is always good to see. So um, getting that balance right is good. It's, it was slightly more a defensive midfield than played against um, Manchester City, but like we said, when you get that balance right in the transitions, there's no need that on paper a defensive side can't be attacking if they get the way they're playing right. Now, Dare I say, I, I posed a question earlier on Twitter where I said, um, if you could take just one, if you had money, prestige was no object, if you could have one player from the Premier League at the moment um, that you feel would improve our team, 
exponentially, who would it be? And a lot of people said Sergio Aguero, which I can understand. Um, and it, it, it seemed to be, you know, people were debating whether or not he could play in the lone striker role. Um, my point was that he's often looked best when he's got Tevez or Negredo up alongside him doing a lot of the dirty work. Now, to you at all, do you think we looked better having that more physical presence in the number 10 role, having Dembele or Polinio up there supporting the lone striker? Because to me, it looked like we were just able to kind of keep possession a lot more up in that up in that section of the pitch, whereas before we've had Ericsson um, or Holtby, who seemed to, not for want to try, but seemed to get quite swamped um, when they operate in that number 10 role. Whereas Dembele, who seemed to just be able to hold it outside the box nicely in that more advanced position, um, thus meaning that our wingers could kind of you have those runs and cause problems for the defence to to pull the defence apart, as opposed to when he's previously had the ball further back and it just hasn't been a threat at all. I mean, do you, do you think that's anything that we've maybe missed a trick on thus far, having a more physical forward line? Well, it's the first time I think we've actually played in that manner and it definitely looked like it was working. So I'm, something I'd be happy to continue exploring. Um, in terms of going forward, I'm, I'm, I'm always... A, a big fan of Christian Eriks and I think with his age and the manner in which he plays football I think long term he'll be our, our number 10 I don't think um, Polino will be as effective there as as perhaps um, he will but in, in these games where we're slightly more defensive minded and playing in the manner we are where we want to to win midfield against United who, who in terms of the centre of the park where they had um, they were quite lightweight compared to ourselves. Were there for the taking. I was um I was pleased to see that 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 team start, and it's it reflects well on the manager that he picked the correct team. So um I, I'm happy in that manner, but um I don't want it to to kind of be too um too detrimental on on Lewis Holtby because um he always seems to try his best whenever he plays. He's not one of those players you can ever um ever say that he's he's not performing for lack of trying but um and people, even with, I mean not to forget people you know he is still very young yeah he's 23 I think he's he's a couple of years older than the other two but um he's one of those players where he may he may become um slightly sidelined if if we decide to to press forward with this sort of formation especially while Ericsson's out injured but um I think it's just one of those things with the amount of depth we do have within the squad it's one of those slight variations on a tactic that that can um that can work for us at points so it's um it's nothing but a positive having more options in in your in your pocket isn't anything um anything to be worried about i don't think but um i'm glad that we've we've tried something different and i'm very happy that it worked right well there you have it 2-2 tottenham hotspur manchester united not bad to uh, come off the back of a 6-0 thrashing to draw with the reigning champions so you know moving forwards we got Fulham this week and we are going to be talking to Russ Goldman so hi there Russ thanks for joining us um if you just want to tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and the Cottage Talk podcast as well sure again my name is Russ Goldman I am the host of a show called Cottage Talk this is my third season of doing this podcast it's actually a live podcast that you can actually access on blogtalkradio.com i do it at different times you know whenever we can do the show and 
basically tell everyone when we're going to do it, uh, post it, and uh, fans listen live, and they also listen to it after the show. And uh, basically what, what we do on Cottage Talk is we preview the matches, and now this season, this is the first season we're doing it, we are doing a post-match show. So usually about an hour to an hour and a half after the Fulham matches, I do a post-match show with a co-host, and I have, I would say, probably about a dozen different co-hosts that I use and most of them are in England, and um, basically we we break down the matches, and like I said, we preview we preview the matches, and then we have what I call cottage talk extra time, which is which is basically our post match show. Sounds like you're not only a lot more organised than uh, we are here on Rotherroost, <laughs> but a lot more uh, popular than we are as well. Given that it's literally just me and Raj, just this little ragtag kind of duo. So nicely done, though, mate. Nicely done. It's good to see that you've got your everything in order. And, Maybe a, a live podcast could be something we could look into, Raj. How do you think we'd go down doing that? Terribly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, we'll we'll jump in straight away with the with the listener questions because um, sure. it, it's it's going to be an interesting one, a midweek fixture. I'm looking forward to it myself. Um, so we'll start with one from Ben McAleer, um, who is at Ben McAleer one. Uh, and he just says, do you think Molenstein, I can never pronounce that name, Molenstein, I think. Um, Mullenstein. Yeah. Do you think Mullenstein can steer Fulham clear of danger? I do. Uh, last week, well, last week uh, we had a couple of guests on that, that cover Manchester United, and uh, I talked to them about Mullenstein, and, and he is beloved at Manchester United for what he did there. And um, basically... Fulham's problems really had started on the training ground. Um, not organized, basically playing as individuals instead of playing as a team. And this is this is what Mullenstein's forte is, is basically working on on the training ground and really, really getting the team to play together. So that, that it was my first indication that this could be the right guy. And the two people I talked to swear by, and believe that he will be able to turn Fulham around. And Fulham have talent, but unfortunately, um, Martin Yell has not been able to find a way this season to harness it. So my hope is that Muenstein will be able to do that. I mean, he was a, a, an incredibly popular figure at White Hart Lane, Martin Yell. Um, I think it's, when you look back at it with steely pragmatism, you can see it was probably the right decision for him to go in the respect that he was a manager very similar to Harry Redknapp, not so much as people, but in terms of their management style, where they very much gave the power to the individuals, the players themselves to express themselves in a way they felt best, as opposed to having a more rigid system as we're now seeing with Andre Villas-Boas. And it would just be, I guess, up to the players to how they react to that or not. I mean, do you think it was the right time for the old to go? Yeah, it it actually it actually turned out to be the right time and 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 listen, I've you know I, I let you guys know that that I I really was a backer of Yol and was and was not crazy about the idea of him leaving, but as as the season progressed and and you saw like you said the the expression for the players basically I hate to put it this way the the lunatics to run the asylum I guess is it would be a good way to put it basically the players players were running the show there. And um, and there there was very little, I guess you could say, system. There was no system. We would ask this all the time because the players were, were just playing as individuals and basically having having that freedom, like you guys were talking about, to express themselves. 
But what that would end up doing is that, again, it would leave players out to dry. It would leave leave the defense, you know, basically there to fend for themselves. It, it really, there was no shape to it. There was no discipline to it. It really was not a system. And um, I think now is the time to make to make the change because it wasn't working. I, I do like Martin Yol. I, I, I think that he is a fine manager. I just don't think he is the right manager for Fulham. And that's unfortunate. Do you, um, do you, do, I mean, did he have an affinity with the fans? Cause like I say, he was in terms of on the terraces, he was, he was massively popular. Everyone, you know, he, he really revitalized uh, a, a Tottenham side, which hadn't, had much right. fun for about a decade, you know, and it was he. He came along and actually made supporting Spurs really good fun again and a really nice place to go. Um, like I say, albeit he, you know, didn't have as much success as we would have liked, he was still a very popular figure with the fans. Did did, did he have that same affinity down at Craven Cottage, or was it always more of a a professional relationship, if you like? I- I want to say I want to say it was it was more of a professional relationship. You know, again, it actually got off to a little bit of a rocky start because Martin Yol made some changes. Again, this is go- going back a couple seasons when when he broke up the partnership of Hangelin and Hughes and moved Hughes to right back. And and Aaron Hughes is not a right back, guys. And he made the change and and he want he wanted to he he wanted to get involved. Um, at the time, Philippe Senderos to be Hangelin's new partner. And um, I don't know if, if you guys have watched a good amount of Philippe Senderos, but Philippe Senderos is usually good for one mistake a match, and it usually <laughs> costs Fulham badly. And, I was going to uh, say, and that's a good performance for him, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And 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 listen, listen. He ha- he has his moments. He has his matches where where he does play well. But you can usually count on that one mistake a match. But but the bigger part was that he broke up this partnership that fans just they it, it was it was so solid and he decided to break it up and it just didn't work. And eventually he had to go back to Hangelin and Hughes. And uh, but I just think that got the relationship off onto a, like, I guess you could say not the best beginning because because, you know, again, the fans know the strengths and weaknesses of foam. And they knew that that was a strength. And what, what he seemed like he was doing, guys, in the very beginning, he was trying to put his mark on the team. He was trying to change what, I guess you could say, his predecessors, Mark Hughes, and then, of course, Roy Hodgson did prior. He tried to change. He tried to tinker with a lineup, whereas I, I think he tried to do it more for effect than for what actually needed to happen, if that makes any sense. And it really, I, I think, I think he made some mistakes in the beginning, but then he did some really good things that actually helped out a player of yours, Musa Dembele, because Fulham were really struggling in right in central midfield, and Musa Dembele is really an exceptional player. But Musa Dembele has a hard time up front because he's not a goal scorer. He just he has a very hard time finishing. So Martin Yule decided to move him to to really become a creative central midfielder. And it really worked. Everything started to take off from that point up until he left, up until um, Musa Dembele went to Spurs. But, but you know, listen, he had his good moments, Martin Yell, I'm giving you one, but then, of course, he had his bad moments. But overall, I think he's a quality manager. But I think Fulham needed, I guess you could say, a more disciplinarian type of 
manager right now. They needed a style. They needed, you know, they needed. I, I have nothing against free flow in football, but there's got to be some some kind of discipline behind it. And right now, there they really isn't. That's why I'm hoping that Mullenstein can instill it so they can still play attractive football, but be solid in the back. See, um, we the next question that uh, you, you may refute, but uh, just putting to you from um, a, a chap called Nick, who is at Led Knee King. Um, that's quite a, <laughs> it's quite an interesting play on words there. Um, he says, can you see any possibility of Fulham avoiding the drop? Because from the outside, it looks like the players have no passion. Right. Well, well, you know, listen, I, I do, I do agree with, uh, with, with the person's comments because right now they don't. I, I, I completely agree with that, and that's why I, I think the move, to, move from Mullenstein is crucial. I personally don't think that they will be going down at all. In fact, I truly believe within a couple months. I'm not saying we're going to be laughing about this, but I, but I think Fulham are going to be able to put it together because the talent is there. If the talent wasn't there, guys, and we didn't have the January transfer window coming up, I'd be more concerned about going down. I'm not concerned about going down. My attitude is how can Mullenstein get us into the top 10? Because if you look at the table, we're only about five points away from 12th. I mean, we're not that far adrift. And I look, look at the league and the teams around us. And there's a good five or six teams that could very easily go down that I think are probably poorer than Fulham, even though that right now they're sitting in 18th. Would you agree with that, Rog? Because I, I certainly would. I think Fulham are a tidy little outfit. Yeah. I think the thing that worries me the most about Fulham is that when you're at the bottom of the league, the thing that you need the most is a, is a high work rate and you need a will to and a want to win, um, right. especially in the uh, up-front position. Currently, they have a combination of Darren Bent, uh, Adelta Rabbed, Brian Ruiz and Dimitar Berbatov, who on their own are fantastic, technically yeah. gifted footballers. However, if um, you wanted to escape relegation from the Premier League, they're perhaps not the um, the sort of players that you'd, you'd cherry-pick for that sort of fight. Just because um, if, if you're going to be very English about it, You'd um you'd almost want to label them luxury players because they um they seem to to play at their own pace and when they do that and they they do it well and they do it effectively it's beautiful to watch um we've we've experienced that before with Dimitar Berbatov lesser with Darren Bent of course but um I think out of those Dimitar's the one that can get away with it in the respect that he is a truly world class footballer yeah. But I think with the rest of them and yeah, the, no. the combination of them all, it's um I think it's it perhaps slightly detrimental to them that they've they've not got um that perhaps that hunger across the the team that they may well do. That for example, somebody who's much less technically gifted but um is exactly the sort of player you want down there in Scott Parker. Yeah. Um that's that's the difference, I think. I think it's a, an attitude problem as much as anything else. I tell you, we'll, we'll jump in there with another question from Matt at Mapsy91, who asks, how's Scott Parker doing? Well, Scott Parker, hands down, has been the best player Fulham have right now. And Scott, and, and I've said this on my show, guys, I wish Scott Parker had a team full, Scott Parker. I wish Fulham had, had a team full of Scott Parkers because if they worked as hard as them, as uh, Scott Parker, you know, the Fulham would be easily in the top 10. Uh, unfortunately, they're not all working as hard as Parker, and and that's the issue. 
Um, the one thing that they did do recently is made him captain. They took it away from Berbatov and they gave it to Parker, which which I which I applauded because I think Parker is a is a true leader. Breda Hangland is still injured, and I have a feeling when Hangland comes back, he will probably become the captain again. But if if it was me, I would I would leave it with um, <clears throat> excuse me with Scott Parker because I think I think he has that attitude that that the team really needs right now. Breda Hangland is your quiet leader. Not Scott Parker. Scott Parker is someone that I really believe is going to get in your face and and make sure that you're doing your job while he's doing his. And uh, like I said, hands down, this season not only is my is is he the best player. I mean, he really is a good example for all the young players that they have on the squad. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I'm losing my voice a little bit, guys. He's you know again, hands down, the best form player we have right now. Is, is he still doing his little trick of running in circles, though? Because he used to like doing yes. that when he was at Spurs. <laughs> yes. It, it, yes. Yeah. It, it's funny because because a part of me part of me wishes that that he was, I guess you could say, more, you know, again, more, I don't know, that he didn't do so much of that, that he, that he was more about, you know, passing up front. Because, because listen, he, he can control the play. But um, I, Fulham are still missing still missing a real a creative central midfielder, ho-hum, that you guys have, uh, Musa Dembele. They still haven't recovered from that. And, of course, Danny Murphy left, and they, they're just missing someone to go along with Scott Parker. Danny and, Murphy uh, left to write his uh, secret footballer book, didn't he? If you believe the rumours. Oh, I, I don't know about that, but but um, Danny Murphy, I mean, I, I, I mean, listen, I mean, for me, Danny Murphy is what everything Fulham were about back a few years ago, and and I, I still call him Mr. Fulham, and and they haven't really they haven't replaced him, and they haven't replaced Musa Dembele. Those have been really the big holes. Like like going forward into this match, I will tell you, you know, the hole that Fulham have really is next to Scott Parker. They they just don't have have that person to get the ball up to your to your your players like your Berbatovs and your Bents, and it all becomes really. I guess you could say it just it stops where it should continue because there's no there's no flow right now. And this has been going on now for over a year. And uh, and, uh, you know, that's what I'm hoping for in January is that they finally fix the you know, the issue that is just staring them right right in front of them. The reason why foam are really not, you know, creating something, you know, creating goals is because they don't have anyone to get the ball up to your your strikers. It's a, well, it's a problem that we're facing uh, at White Hart Lane at the moment ourselves, so we can we can empathise with you there. Um, how is out of interest? How is Berbatov performing this season? Not well, not well at all. Actually, he seemed quite quiet from the outside. Yeah, he he, he has been very quiet. And listen, what what Yol was trying to do, Yol Yol was hell bent on trying to have Berbatov play with Bent, and um, we discussed it on on Cottage Talk. It, it it's. It's difficult to have them on the pitch at the same time. And uh, the fact that he was out the last game, even though the result was bad, everyone was curious to see what it would look like, which is bent up front. And uh, honestly, you know, right now, right at this moment, I prefer Darren Bent playing over Dimitar Berbatov. I know that's that's probably not not a good thing to say, but it really is based on um, based on how he's played so far and how Bent has played. 
Ben always looks like you know, like he can score goals. Bro, bro well, well that's the thing about Darren Ben, isn't it? He's just he's a very direct player. That there's not yes. much to his game outside of if you put the ball in front of him, he can generally find the net. But basically, sometimes basically. you need that though, especially in the position you're in now, to just have that player you can knock the ball in front of, and then he can run onto it and score. Right, right. Berbatov right now, and we've talked about this, is more of a luxury, you know, because because again, he he, he looks wonderful. He has all this skill and tremendous skill. But right now, they just need someone to score goals, and that's why, if it was up to me, I would go, I would go directly just with, with Bent, and then just figure out behind him because because Berbatov right now is just not getting it done. Okay, well, we've got a question from Tyrone Ross Williams who asks: with the squad that you have, where do you realistically see yourself finishing this season? <laughs> Okay, well, I've already said it, so I'm not I'm not backing down from this. Mm-hmm. I still think Fulham are gonna are gonna finish in the top ten. Okay, I know, I know that I know that does not look good at this moment. We are 13 games in, but um, I've seen this from Fulham before. If the attitude can change and Moonstein can can get them to play together as a unit, I can I can actually see it happening. Um, people think I'm delusional. Maybe I am. But I, but I've also seen Fulham at this stage with with these amount of points this late before. This isn't the first time this has happened. Um, I just see a lot of teams that they could really jump over to possibly get to that spot. Like I said, they're not that far off. They needed they needed a reboot, and I'm hoping that you know it starts soon. I don't know if it's going to start Wednesday, but I'm looking for an improvement on Wednesday because what we saw on Saturday was a giant step backwards, and that's probably why Martin Yole's not there anymore. Okay, well, we'll go on to the game on Wednesday in just a minute, but uh, before we do, i um, just got one other question for you, which is sure. from Ben Atkins, um, at Ben Atkins 20, who asks, how did you actually use Dembele? Um, because I don't remember him playing quite as deep for Fulham as he does for Spurs. Now, I know you touched on at first that you had him playing up front and moved him back. Yep. But uh, just to, I mean, if you weren't aware, it seems like very much so this this season, up until the last game, we've we've almost had him operating as a defensive midfielder, at least a ball-winning midfielder of sorts. Um, right. But was he played more as a number 10 at Fulham? Or I, I think that's what I seem no. to remember. No, I, well, 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 originally... Well, I, I should say originally he was he was just a, a, a pure striker and that didn't work. And then and then and then he would be behind the main striker and then and then he would be even farther back. Like I said, he became a, a real central, a creative central midfielder, and and he was this deep with Fulham, but it just looks different because I've watched him play with Spurs. It doesn't he doesn't look like the same player. Uh, I can't put my finger on it. Except that I think that possibly Yol gave him creative control to do whatever whatever he wanted, basically. Yeah. You know, because because he really once he gets going, he can really just go up and down the pitch. You know, um, with his ball skills, but it, it just seems different under under AVB. I, I just you know I I don't know if it's because of the style of play, like you said, a more rigid style. He won't let him. You won't let him play without freedom that he did with Yol. I don't know, but um, I do know with Yol he had that freedom, and he just does not look like the same player. 
I mean, how have you generally this season set your set your stall up? Because you're saying you're trying to recover from the loss of Dembele still. Um, yes. How is it that you're you're generally lining out um, in 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 light of his absence? And who who are you playing where you would have maybe played him? Well, well, here's the thing: they would have. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You know, they would have had probably um, Danny Murphy at the time, probably with 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 Dembele, and, and, uh, and then the play would flow from there. Now they move to this season. Now, now it's Steve Sidwell and Scott Parker. And you're basically dealing with two defensive midfielders. So it's not they're not crea- they're not creating anything. They're, neither one is is a like a pure passer like a Murphy and or or can you know really create to to get the ball up front to a Berbatov or a Bent like Dembele could. So right now like I said it's almost you know it's almost like we're just stuck in the middle. If that makes any sense guys. Yeah, I, I mean are you surprised you never went back in for Dempsey? When it seemed well, like his time was up at Spurs. Well, well, what's funny about what's funny about Dempsey is um, Dean Jones, the writer for the People, was on my show on Friday, and um, and um, we we're talking about the January transfer window, and he just threw out the possibility, again, the possibility that Dempsey could come back to Fulham in January. Would that be um, for well, the winter loan? Yeah, yeah. That would be for the winter loan. Now, now Spurs has. Right of first refusal, we're hearing, but I don't think that that Spurs would want would want him back. I don't think they would want Dempsey back. But I'm telling you, if you know, again, I I, I have my issues with how Dempsey left, but Clint Dempsey could actually really fix a lot of the issues that Fulham are having just by his ability to score goals, because because mm-hmm. we know that he's just a, a goal scorer. Yeah, it was it was it was a strange one. He he never really fit in at Spurs. I remember you were asking me earlier um, about exactly kind of our thoughts on it, and I was always fond of Dempsey. I always found that he he tried and he really you know was someone that was committed to the cause, but he was often very marginalised because the role he essentially occupied for you guys was what Gareth Bale was doing for us. Exactly. So he had to stick to this much more regimented role within our team, as opposed to having that freedom that he had at Fulham. And it, it, you could see it just, he got frustrated. But he still scored a, a, a few memorable goals for us and still popped up 
when we needed him, most notably against Manchester United a couple of times. Um, and uh, I, I must say, I was quite surprised that we, we did let him go, but I think it was more about the fact that the Seattle Sounders offered us very good money for him. <laughs> I think it was about about seven or eight million we got in the end, wasn't it, Raj? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's yeah very good yeah. money for an aging player. Well, what's funny, guys, is over here right now, the move, you know, the move is the move is actually looked pretty fondly for you and not fondly for the Sounders because Quint Dempsey has basically basically done nothing since he returned. Really? Yeah, and I, I believe he scored one goal. Sounders didn't even, and they they went out early in the playoffs. And uh, Dempsey has actually been a huge disappointment over here since returning. Do you think that's about his attitude? Um, do I don't know. I don't, you know, again, I'm not, you know, I haven't really watched a, watched a great deal of matches with the Seattle Sounders, but but what I've been hearing is is just that that he's had a hard time, I guess maybe even adjusting to the style of play back in the MLS from when he used to be there. When I was following him when he was a member of the New England Revolution, it's a different it's a different game over here now. It's it's a it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty physical, rough game, but it's not. But it doesn't have the quality of the Barclays Premier League. But it's really, I mean, at times it can be really, really physical. And and uh, I just don't know if De- you know if Dempsey is used to playing with players right now that are not at his level, and he's and and he's struggling, you know, to you know to really, you know, I mean, he's the man, and he was the man at Fulham. I thought that he would he would flourish under that role. At um at Seattle, but so far he hasn't. It, I mean to speculate. One would probably suggest that it's a, maybe a bit of an arrogance on his part that he thought he might go. Yeah, with all due respect, go back to the MLS and see it as a walk in the park comparatively yeah. to the to the Premier League. But forgetting the fact that although it is clearly not on the same level as the Premier League, the MLS has improved drastically, probably in the short time since he's not been there. Yeah, you know, you know, it's funny because because I know that there that MLS is actually has a good amount of fans in England now, which is which is nice. Seriously, um, if you're asking me, it's probably League One level right now. It's not it's not championship. It's definitely not championship level yet, but it's getting better. It gets better each and every year. And but 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 when he was originally playing it, it was probably League Two. I mean, it was it was really. I mean, the quality has gone way up, and he just again he might have might have been a little bit I I guess you could say you know full of himself when he came over here and didn't put in the work, and um and then he finds out well the players aren't that bad over here, and um and just didn't step up because because when he played at Fulham guys I mean he only got better and better to the point that he went to join join your team, and uh, you know what I don't like how it ended, but. It doesn't make me happy to see his career kind of, I guess you could say, teeter a little bit here in America, because I'm telling you, there was so much fanfare when he came came back home, and it just hasn't worked out. I'm hoping that whether he comes to a club like Fulham, Everton, whoever takes him on, that he finds his game again, because uh, the U.S. men's national team needs him in the World Cup. So whoever he goes to, I think it's important for, for us here in America that Clint Dempsey gets gets back to be playing the kind of football that we know he can play because he certainly wasn't showing it recently. 
So, but you'd, you'd most definitely like to have him back in January. Me personally, yes, yes, and and uh, and I basically, honestly, guys, I, you know, on my show, I, I I've been killing Dempsey after he left because it, it really bothered me how he how he left Fulham. But you know, when you look at the needs of, of the team and you think about it, you try to take that bad part of it out of it. You see what he could bring. You know what? They could use Clint Dempsey, so I wouldn't be against it at all. In fact, I would encourage it at this point. Well, it's, it's much the same with us and, and Gareth Bale in a, in a, in a <laughs> different respect. Just, you know, when he left, there were a lot of very, very bitter Spurs fans right. about that and the, the way in which he conducted himself. But I think you'd be a bit of a moron if you were offered Gareth Bale back tomorrow and no one wanted to take him, you know. Um, but Exactly. Moving on to the game, I mean, how are you? How are you feeling ahead of Wednesday? You know, Spurs have we've been much maligned in the press, but we haven't been quite as bad as a lot of people have made out. Is it a, a game that you're looking forward to? Can you see yourself beating us? Or I mean, how, how are you? What are your thoughts on it? Well, my thoughts are my thoughts. I, I got to be honest with you. My, my thoughts completely changed uh, at about eleven twenty my time, which is 4.20 your time yesterday when, when Mario got sacked because, because my first thought was, and, and being honest, hmm, we might get a little boost for, for this next match against Spurs just because, again, change of, change, of, uh, change of manager, maybe change of attitude, maybe we can get a little boost out of this. Before that, guys, I, I, I penciled this in as a loss. I see this as being a much more competitive match because I think the players are going to want to impress the manager, and the manager is going to want to impress the players and the fans and his and his new boss. So, I, you know, you know, like I said originally, you know, I don't like playing Spurs. I got to be honest with you, because because it's always a team that Fulham struggle against, even though we, we won at White Hart Lane last year. Um, All right, you don't, you don't need to rub it in, Russ. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, no, Jack. Seriously, nah, yeah. I I would be thrilled. I would be thrilled with a good, with a good, positive um, performance. No, number one, if they come out and they play strong and lose, I can live with that because right now that's where Fulham are. Right now, we need to see progress. If we got a point, that'd be fantastic. If we got all three points. I'd probably be jumping out my window. In in celebration, yes, yes. I'm sorry. In celebration, yeah. I was going to say, wow, that's that's kind of some some self hate there in a in a weird <laughs> way. Um, but I mean, how 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 do you see yourself lining up? What what do you think you'll be doing formation wise? Well, well, what's interesting is that Moonstein a, a couple matches ago tried to shake things up a little bit, putting in, I guess you could say, kind of like a diamond formation. And um, I don't know if, you know, again, he, he, went away, he went away from that in the last match because, again, he's trying to figure out a way to involve Berbertoff and Bent. And if Berbertoff's ready to go again, he might, he might try to pull a similar kind of formation. Um, the one, you know, again, the formation that we're so used to here has been, say, kind of like your, you know, your 4-2-3-1, you know, but... But again, um, Lewinstein did change things for just this one game um, against Swansea, and, and it really it seemed to work in the first half. But then Swansea adjusted, and then they took it to foam in the second half. So 
you know what? I'm I'm just gonna say he's gonna play it safe and he'll play he'll play this this pretty pretty you know I guess you could say normal Fulham formation, which is the four two three one with with um with Parker and Sidwell, and then you probably have someone like Ruiz, uh, probably Kasami, and oh god, I, maybe maybe Berbatov in the middle and then bent up front. That's what you might say. Yeah, I think it's going to be a real. Uh... Real midfield battle this one, Raj. I mean, how how do you see us responding to the re- the result against United? Um, hopefully, we'll you know kick on from it. Um, in terms of actually picking the formation or the way in which Fulham will play here is is difficult, given that they'll have a new manager because they want to to try and instill his way of playing as soon as possible. And uh, I've never he's not managed at any length of time before. I mean, he had a few weeks at Angie before, but hardly any success there. He's really been a, an on-field coach. I think the only person who he's really comparable to in the Premier League is, is Steve Clark at West Brom, because they both came from similar sort of areas. But um, Steve Clark was always well known to, to be a, an extra tactician on the training field and get really involved. He walked into a much better situation at West Brom than what Mullenstein's going to be walking into, or having already walked into a, um, a struggling Fulham side. So uh, at home, I'd, um, I'd hope he kicked on and, and scored a few goals. Um, but um, it, they'll definitely have a bit of spirit. There'll definitely be a bit of a pick-up from Fulham, as there always is when there's a new manager. But um, it's um, it's slightly unpredictable now for um for us seeing who they'll play because um, I'm sure he's got his own ideas of plays he wants to drop and, and others he'll want to, to reintroduce as old new managers try and do just to, to stamp a bit of authority. Can you see this being the game where Parker comes back to haunt us? <laughs> um, Scott Parker scores. Uh, um, uh, I think oh, I'll uh, be jumping out my window for an entirely different reason, <laughs> Russ, if Scott Parker scores against us. <laughs> Yeah, genuinely. I mean, the fact that he never scored for us. I think there was a couple of times in his last season where, like, he he pretty much missed open goals. Um, he was that bad in front <laughs> he, of goal. He, he's got a belter in his locket, though. He's seen it throughout his career. He's he's one of those players that can really just smash one in when he. Hey, when the he's mood scored takes. a goal for us already by accident. Yeah, he's already scored for Fulham. A little audacious chip. Really? So, um, yeah. yeah. And he, he scored a few screamers for West Ham, but he was he was the white Didier Zakora at Tottenham, so <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't hit a proverbial cow with a banjo. I mean, where where would you say, Russ, are your... I, I know we've spoken about it throughout the, the episode, but in terms of where we can target you to get the three points, oh, how are we going to cause you, know, you problems? I mean, are you are you... Yeah. Susceptible to set pieces, or are you? Oh, uh, if you know, set pieces are our weakness right now. If I if 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 I am AVB, I figure out ways to to basically basically have 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 like Aaron Lennon just run run at our our, our fullback like the entire match. I mean, I mean, you want to create as much as you can from the wings. I'm being honest. If you do that and you and you create set pieces, you're going to score because. Because that has been a huge weakness of Fulham all season. We've been giving up so many goals from set pieces. It's not even funny. It, it's it's actually pretty sad, and they've they've been working on it, but it still isn't there yet. It's still it still it still happens, and uh, that that is a that is a really um, a really bad weakness right now. Again, if I'm you know if I'm AVB, I, I go at Richardson 
Um, and I would probably go right at Rita. I, I, Rita is stronger than Richardson, but I, I would really attack Kieran Richardson in this match if I, if I was him. You know, that, that would be my strategy, get the ball to that side of the field as much as possible and just go at him. It's not that he's a bad player, but he's not a natural left back. And, uh, and he is susceptible because he, he still thinks of as more, if I, you could tell he thinks of himself more offensively than he does defensively and, and you can beat him. So that would be the, that would be the player if, from a, from a Spurs perspective that I would target. And, and, and from a Fulham perspective, can I just ask you guys to keep Jermaine Defoe at White Hart Lane? Don't have him come for this match. He often scores against you, does he? He does. He does. Keep keep Jermaine Defoe at home. That, that's all I ask. We'll probably... He might actually get a game. He usually scores against the uh, the lesser opponent, so he'll, um, <laughs> he'll probably play. I mean, would, would you say, Raj, actually, thinking about it, that in a similar respect to the problems that we're facing, Fulham yeah. are having a similar type of issue that we are at the moment right in a much more drastic sense they are, yeah. yeah yeah of course <laughs> right. i think um i mean they have got a slight problem with their identity at the moment um they've not got the balance right between being an entirely no what i was going to say that what's interesting about about your team your team has so much talent incredible amount of talent everywhere and AVB is, I, you know, in my opinion, just trying to figure out how all the pieces fit. Like you said, similar to what's going on with Fulham, but, but at a completely different level. And um, he's, you know, again, it, it seems like it, it's a little bit of a struggle. I want to ask you guys about a player that I'm curious about and, and your thoughts on Soldado. Because uh, he's not scoring as much as I thought he would be at this point. I don't know. That's that's a, a a conundrum for for the best of us. I mean, there's there's one side of the argument is that he's not getting the service that he needs, um, but then there's a there's another side that would say that he's you know although that is true, he's maybe not working as hard as as he could be. Um, it's something that's very much up in the air, and no one really seems to have a clear idea as to what is going on with Roberto Soldado because he did get a, a number of decent chances against Manchester United and. Still didn't yeah. look overly convincing, so the jury's still out. He's he's definitely a class player. We've seen it when his finish against Aston Villa, um, and I know it sounds a bit silly, but his finishes for the penalties, they've all been very calm, very assured. Um, so he's definitely a player of class. It just seems to be that he's severely lacking in confidence at the moment. You know... Um- a player, you know, again, I'm just, I know I'm going going off a little bit, but a player that I really like on on Spurs is Sandro. I'm glad that he's back. Uh, how has he been since he's come back? Uh, well, a breath of fresh air. We've 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 got the beast back. Um, I mean, he 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 got a bit tired against Manchester City. It was a bit of a baptism of fire for him that game. Um, in that you know Manchester City have an incredibly strong midfield. But we saw against Manchester United, he having him there just allowed us so much more freedom and allowed the freedom for Mr. Dembele to veer forward slightly more and become that creative outlet that he's threatened to be a lot of the time but hasn't been able to because we haven't had someone there yeah. cleaning up behind him. But now that we have Sandro back, it seems to be that uh, we're going to see a lot more from Dembele and uh, hopefully Sandro can stay injury-free. I was going to say, don't give up on Dembele. You know, honestly, I would love 
perform to make a bid for for Dembele in January. I know, and I know, I know it's not going to happen. But you know, to to, go, to bring him back to form because because at one, at one point he uh, AVB wasn't using him in a few matches. I'm thinking, okay, that, this is an opportunity. But now that he's he's partnered him with Sandro, I'm thinking that that's going to work. I actually think that might work. How about you, Rush? Um, hopefully, yeah. I mean, their their partnership at the beginning of last season was um was half the reason we were winning as many games as we did. They were fantastic together. Um, I think it's something that um whenever uh Rob Brown, who writes for the site, refers back to to our midfield working well, it's always something he's he's referred back to tactically as being a strong point for us that um having that access of Dembele and Sandro together. Um, so I'm I'm happy with that. Um, I think um. Should Paulinho now fill in that that role higher up? Um, Dembele and Sandro should flourish, really. Oh, fantastic! Um, Russ, uh, we we everyone seems to hate when we do this to them. But if you had to say, what are you going with score wise for Wednesday? <laughs> okay, if I'm being if I'm being honest, and I'm going to be honest here, I'm 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 going to pick three one to Spurs. Interesting. How about you, Raj? Um, I, I'd hope that we didn't concede, given that Fulham aren't scoring goals. But I can see them. I can actually probably see them starting very quickly, which might actually be to our advantage because I'd hope they'd come out and and try and play football because that's something that um, Mullinson apparently praises himself on is, is being an an attacking minded coach. So I think there could be goals. I'd hope that after we've we've scored a few this weekend, we'd kick on. So, yeah, three three or four goals to us and maybe one to Fulham would be nice. I'd go for 3-1, four, 4-1, one, hopefully. I'm going to go with 1-0. 1-0. 1-0. <laughs> <One all. laughs> Jack, Jack, if I'm telling you, if that turns out to be the score, I'm, I'm going to jump on a flight and come and meet you. Yeah, please do, mate. I'll, I'll get you a bit. <laughs> I, I live up the road from Craven Cottage as well, so... Um, so yeah, we can we can go to a, a well, we can go to a Fulham game, and I'll I'll stand outside for a bit while you go and watch, and then <laughs> we can have a beer afterwards. Um, I, good. I, I just wanted to ask you now we've we've got all the football stuff out of the way. I just wanted to ask you a cheek one of the cheekier questions we received sure. from one of our listeners. Um, <laughs> it was from a Sean Connolly at Shawnee C Five, and he's asked, and this this is obviously very important. That's why I've saved it for last. Would yeah. you prefer to reinstate the Michael Jackson statue? Oh. Or build a statue of Justin Bieber outside of the cottage. <laughs> <laughs> serious questions, you know. Uh, serious question, serious answer. If if those are my choices, bring back the Michael Jackson statue. I, I, I used to like it when a lot of people would say it was uh, you unveiling <laughs> you unveiling the signing of Nanny when you first got the the Michael Jackson statue put up. Um, but yeah. Maybe I was alone in finding that funny. <laughs> no, no. What's What's funny, Jack, is what is that when I went on my tour of Craven Cottage and it was this great tour of Craven Cottage, I completely forgot that the statue was there. It's one of the last things that they showed me, and I just I I, I just was like, oh God, I don't want to see this. And then of course they <laughs> went through this whole spiel about Michael Jackson. I'm like, come on, you know. <laughs> Enough, enough. What what so, were they so, saying to you? Like what were what what were they saying to you on the tour about oh, him? About him and about him and Al Fayed, about 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 him being being the thriller, just everything. Yeah, it just was. Ugh. Just yeah. just vomit inducing. Yeah, I mean, there was an actually. I, I mean, listen, you know, Mike Jackson, the site, 
dedicated to Michael Jackson at one stage. I remember going on to try and find tickets once and stumbled across the Michael Jackson section of the Fulham website, which was actually larger than the actual football side of it. <laughs> it was like an online shrine to Michael Jackson. It was brilliant. It's quite scary. I mean, the statue, it was, it was horrifying as well. It was really scary. Yeah, yeah um, one of my co-hosts said, if, if the statue was like, like a really nice statue, I don't think anyone w- would have really mattered. It wouldn't bother people. But it's really this this really hideous statue. I, I like the I like the actual photos of how when you, when you got the new chairman and he kind of like you know um, Al Fayed made the the joke about oh if he gets rid of that statue I'll rip off his moustache thinking no one's <laughs> going to get rid of the statue and how the the new chairman gave it about a month and then you just saw it being carted right. off in the back of a van right. like just right. literally just given no dignity like it was just literally chopped from the ground and tossed onto right. this like disposal van hey, guys good, can, good I, riddance. can i share a quick story can go I for it go share for a it quick story about about the form owner go for it the form owner actually came on cottage talk i actually had him on my show um and i don't think you know and i can't think of another another podcast that's had an owner on of a barclays premier league team but he was <laughs> we nice enough daniel levy on here I, I, I was thinking if I can get if I can get Shai Khan on, maybe you guys can get Daniel Levy on. <laughs> yeah. Not a chance. Mate, he charges. <laughs> yeah. He and he broker a hard deal as well. <laughs> He'd have full but, editing final edits here. Yeah. But yeah, but, you, but, you were saying anyway, yeah. No, I was just gonna say I was gonna say about Khan because because I, I've done my due diligence um Really figuring out how he how he works, how he built his you know built his fortune, became became the man that he is. He, he's a smart man, but um, but he really he wanted time to really assess the situation at Fulham, and I don't think that he wanted to sack Marignol. I don't think that he wanted to at all. I think he wanted to wait until the end of the season to give him to give Yol that time. But with the situation that it was with Fulham, I think he did the right thing. But I think overall that Shah Khan is is going to be a very good owner for Fulham because I think he real I think one I think he cares two I think he will put I think he will put money into the team to back the manager he did do that with Marignol he he's already said that he's willing to do that I don't know how much money we're talking about but I think if Mullenstein wants something I think that he will try to give it to him and um, so far so good with with Shah Khan. I think I think some Fulham fans were were concerned that that he he was waiting too long to pull the trigger on Martignol, but I think he won them all back with this recent, you know with, with doing it now though. Well, we'll we'll see um, how that pans out for you. And uh, I, you know, like I said, I've got a bit of an affinity for Fulham, so I, I hope you do avoid the drop, and I think you will, um, just as long as it's not you're not getting three points at our expense this uh, this Wednesday. Well, we we shall see, guys. Like I said, I you know I will be happy with a good performance. It might be asking too much to get um, <clears throat> excuse me for Fulham to get something out of the match, but um, you never know. But you know, I'm just I'm just looking to see improvement, and uh, and you guys are probably looking to kick on like like you guys are talking about. So we'll see what happens. Should be a good game, and uh, should be. Thanks so much for offering us your time this evening as well, Russ. Not a problem, not a problem. Good luck for the rest of the season, mate. You too.
So that was Russ, lovely chap. It must be because it was maybe because it was Thanksgiving. He 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 was in a happy mood, or maybe he's just a a nice man. But yeah, we, so we touched on AVB at the start of the show. Um, I wish I'd touched how, on AVB at the start. Of the show. Well, yeah. How how do you see that that paying off? Because it, it's it's a big move. It, it seems to me though a gamble that's paid off. A man that was actually losing a lot of. Uh, uh, there were a lot of dissenters amongst the White Hart Lane crowd, and it seems as though they've come around because of this. That it's it once again created that us against them um, mentality between Spurs and the press. Hashtag we is us. Well, that's, do you think he's do you think he's done that on purpose, or do you think it is just he has been a bit petulant with the press, but it's it's paid off. I honestly think it's it's slightly naive of him. In all honesty, um, not in a bad way. Per se, um, I think it's a reflection of his age more than anything else. Because he does, if somebody does say something like that to him, he'll often get his back up, even if it's um, slightly less uh, obvious than the way he's done it this time. He will be slightly spiky in interviews if um, if the rhetoric's been that way and going. But um, he's completely right that there does seem to be um, quite a lot of uh, an agenda building towards him. It's something we we saw massively last season but obviously last season he didn't obviously feel as, as comfortable in his new job he was only just in the club so he couldn't really come out and, and speak in his stronger terms as he has but he obviously feels comfortable enough within himself at the club now that he, he can he can say that sort of thing which is which is quite nice to see um I've got to I say I did not- find it quite funny when I uh, the <laughs> the exchange between him and Neil Ashton how he was saying you know there's a couple of people in here who have been divisive not only about my my professional life but also about my personal life. Yeah. And then you know he, he says, "Oh, one of them sat here in the room now." Points over to Neil Ashton, and Neil Ashton just sits up. Uh, 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 am I not allowed an opinion? And Vias mm-hmm. just yeah, he says to him, "Well, yeah, but you're not allowed to misquote me, which is what you have done." And Ashton's just again, "But I, I'm allowed an opinion, you know." And it was just like, well, yeah, we've we've established that, Neil. But please <laughs> continue, pray tell. Like, what what's your umbrage here? I'm allowed an opinion, okay? And just kept reiterating this. It was it was pathetic. It was absolutely pathetic. And in that moment, it it just showed me that he'd been called out. He'd been put on the spot, and he just floundered. And it's all well and good. And it looked even more pathetic from Ashton's point of view that he went home obviously straight away and wrote that Bible in response to Andre Villas-Boas, because when it really mattered, he had no conviction in his point or anything that he was saying whatsoever. Yeah. Just, the, the piece that he wrote in response is all very woe-is me as well. It's, um, oh, it's pathetic. It's slightly embarrassing. I mean, if if we're, as a club, going to make enemy of the uh, of the Daily Mail, I can only support that. If there's a one paper in the world that uh, we should all... Um, join forces to try and bring down. I think it's probably that one. Um, but I mean, specifically the, the articles that were written about him, they had an issue with are two that were that were designed to be blogs online with two very sensationalist titles in order to drive drive traffic towards them and, and push the mail's advertising revenue. So they weren't. I don't think either of those football writers ever believe a word they've probably written themselves or perhaps they do which is even sadder if they if they do but the reason in which they produce those articles is because the institution they're writing for and the people in which are uh, dictating who 
and what they have to produce to you know put food on the table at the end of the day is, is a disgrace so um I, I absolutely back the manager in what he said and um the fashion in which he did it was um spectacular you, and, um, you'd do it in a heartbeat brains you'd be there if they offered you a six-figure salary where do i, I sign I, Genuinely wouldn't, I'd rather go on the dole than write for the Daily Mail. Um, and that's something I'll, I'll stand by um, for, for the rest of my life, I hope. Well, we'll see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I think it's, uh, it is it is going to be interesting to see which way it plays out. I mean, the fact you've even got, like, that slug of a man, Sam Allardyce, jumping on board to have a little dig at him as well. Is a bit annoying. I don't really understand the. Well, Sam Allardyce, who believes he should be managing at Barcelona or Real Madrid, yeah, you know, he's a manager who West Ham even have their reservations about because he's so rudimentary in the way he does things. Uh, yeah, he's he's a, the poor man's Harry Redknapp, which is as damning uh, <laughs> version of a person that you'd you'd wish to be. He's like a latex sack of beetroot, isn't he, Sam Allardyce? Really, he's horrible. He's a horrible man. Um, yeah, I've. Don't have time for him. Do you have time for his brand of football? No, not <laughs> whatsoever. Even though he's, yeah, he's just an, an unpleasant person, isn't he? Yeah, um, but that's that's it from Rotherhurst. But I, not for this week. We will, in a couple of days' time, have the Sunderland piece coming up. So we'll be either talking about our emphatic win at Fulham or AVB sacking after <laughs> the hands of a three 0 and Martin Yule's glorious return to the club. Oh, let's bring him back. Let's bring him back. And someone said on Twitter today, I uh, can't be bothered to look through it now and see who it was who said it. Apologies, mate. Um, but he <laughs> said we should just offer Martin Yell a job coming round and giving everyone a hug at White Hart Lane. How good I'd, would that I'd be? Love it. We should we should dress him up as Chirpy. He should be Chirpy for the year. <laughs> My um, favourite one was um, his post-match um, interview once with Gabby Logan on ITV4. Where he just flirted with her down the camera. He was like, yes, uh, darling. Yeah, he keeps <laughs> winking at her, doesn't he? He kept winking and just smiling and bringing out his best. He, he loved him. Smooth. And not to mention, I, I watched today as well, the, him and Wing are squaring up to one another. When I just think, just cave his fucking face in, Martin. Just put, <laughs> put one of your big doughy hands right through his fucking wrinkled, horrible little ball bag face. Just do it. You'd see that fucking incident, Arson. Anyway, <laughs> um, as ever, you can listen to all the past episodes of Rule the Roost on SpursStatman.com, where you'll find a host of fantastic Tottenham literature. This week, a reactionary piece from Steve, Steve Jennings, um, and some other stuff written by other people. You going to write anything else again, Rog? Uh, no. No, nope, you're never going to write anything again, nope. are you? No, nope. big lazy bastard. Um, I only come out on, on certain occasions. Oh, do you now? Um, <laughs> are you Tom Daly's other half? Or no? I'm not going to. I'm not going to make homophobic jokes. I do apologise. That's not a homophobic joke. No, it's, I'm it's, it's in good spirit. And good on you, Tom Daly. I do stand by that. No, no hint of a joke or anything. I do. <laughs> I'm being serious. I do stand by. It. I think it's it's a very good thing. I think. It's good for for young homosexual men to have more of an icon like that. But anyway, that's a completely different pod altogether. Um, You can listen to all the episodes as well on iTunes, of course, and on our Buzzsprout website, which works for Android and whatever other excuse for a phone you might have that doesn't support (laughs) iTunes. Um, And of course, listen to us rant on Twitter 
at RTRSSM, where you'll be able to see a nice picture of Neil Ashton and Martin Samuel suckling on Harry Redknapp's teats at the moment. Um, you can also follow Baines at BainesXIII or me at Tetrunk. And of course, not to forget the governor, JP, at Spurs Statman. So thanks very much for listening, guys. Have a lovely evening. Come on, you Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.